Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm one of your hosts, Duke Wynn. I'm Echo. And I'm Jenny. Today, we're going to talk about stereotype threat and stereotypes of Asian and Asian Americans in the workplace. So if we're talking about Asian stereotypes, let's go ahead and list them off. And we'll provide some links to um, listeners so you can see that all of this has been based on research. But we're also talking about experiences that we've had based on our own lives. So I'll start off. Intelligent is one. Asians are smart. What else? Intelligent. Submissive. Hard workers. Are they working? Yeah. Good at math. Good at math, but not good at interpersonal skills. So not good at making connections. You know, small talk. Duck. I want to like. I want to go back to what you said: subservient or submissive. Yeah. Yeah. Not gonna say no. Oh yeah. 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 Always gonna say yes. Passive. Yeah. Pushover. Yeah. Not to be dominant. Non-dominant, not aggressive, kind of passive, good listener. Yeah. Young looking. Young, yes, young looking. Forever twenty-one. I was actually founded by a by an Asian. The I, I didn't know this. Forever twenty-one, the company. Uh, I think the the founder was like an Asian person. Oh really? Yeah. yeah but they, I think um, I read an article last week saying they are taking oh, they're almost like a taking. Down by Xing, which is another Chinese company. Like Xing is this brand that that is like super cheap and sell like fast, kind of like a fast version of Forever Twenty One. Oh, like a yeah. faster version because Forever Twenty One is fast fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fast, fast, fast fashion. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay, um, cheap labor. Yeah. Now that we're on that topic, cheap all the same. So I don't really. Have to differentiate between my employees because they're all the same. They all look alike. Yeah, if I can go back to the cheap labor, I think that goes back to like uh, the coolies and that uh, the term coolies, and it's actually a, ter- a pejorative term that's actually used for a lot of uh, uh, different groups of uh, people of color who've historically come to the U.S. to work as cheap labor. And I think there's an underlying uh, aspect of that that uh, indicates that they're also a menace to Western society as well, too. All right, so that's kind of depressing, but let's go ahead and uh, discuss, you know, how how do these stereotypes show up in the workplace? Because this podcast is about Asians in the workplace, so maybe we can go back to some of these stereotypes and talk about how they manifest in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want us to just give examples that we've uh, we've had, Jenny? Sure. Uh, so I guess the one that Echo said, diligent, right? I think. A lot of people assume that Asians are hard workers. They're they're going to put a lot of time into working on your projects, so you can give them a lot of work, and potentially a lot more work than you would assign your non-Asians. So that's one example. We're all a little quiet because we're crying a little bit inside right now <laughs> because it's might happen to fight all of us. <laughs> well, um, should we unpack that? Should we maybe talk about a few examples? Would that be uh, helpful, or should we list off? Could it be like? That are examples or like examples that we've heard of? Both. It could be any. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I'm, you know, in one of our studies that we had, well, we, um, Echo Jenny and, uh, and I interviewed uh, some folks 
and we found out this um, social worker who was Chinese American in the the New York area. Uh, she had, I think, like maybe ten cases that she had to take on, uh, plus like three or four extra that she had to take on every week. And the standard cases that other people had to take was about eight, and then you know plus or minus two, and that that's each week. And you know because I think her boss, who was also Asian, you know, uh, had this. Assumption that she was willing to work a little bit harder gave her more work consistently than other folks, you know. And this is just a week by week basis. Uh, imagine what that looks like over, you know, months, years, an entire decade, or even a career's worth of work. This person now has to basically do a lot more work in her career than other folks uh, for the same pay, and I feel like that's. Um, Gosh, just unfair um, to say the least, and exhausting for this person who who had to do this. Yeah, I'm also sure. Like,、um, it's probably like not foreign to some of our Asian listeners that if you get bypassed by a promotion, even though you feel like you have done the same amount of work or contribute the same amount of value to the team to the company, but、um, it's always that white worker get promoted faster than you do. I can also give another example: is the、um, Asians or lack of social skills because you're Asian, you're not good at communicate to other people that you're not going to be assigned to more of a sales or even like a get on to in front of the executive audience because you're just not good at that.、Um, I think that could also potentially be very detrimental to Asian colleagues. Where as we're thinking about the ways to progress on the career side, like one of the way is to be able to like. Have that socialized skills with other people and be able to demonstrate that that presentation to the executive level audience.、So、I think a lot of that might potentially also pigeonhole Asians into technical roles because, well, the expectation is you're good at technical stuff, but not like not us to deal with the people side. And do you see that in your workplace? Have you seen that? I mean, we don't have to name like organization names, but have you seen that trend play out in in the workplace? I'm not seeing that like in the way that people get like, hey, you're not going to that presentation or something like that. But when you're actually seeing a room, who is actually usually gets in front of the C-suite? Let alone like C-suite, they're not even like that many like Asian people there. And so that's like that's just an obvious thing that you everyone can observe from their own. Team or their own organization, like who is the one that usually doing that presentation, right? What about you, Doug? I know you've been at the top, you know, when you're working at the startup, and I'm sure that was you're probably the, one of the only few Asians at the top, if not the only one. Yeah, I was, and you know, even for me, like I got,、um, you know, put into roles that I didn't think that were relevant, or、uh, for example, for instance,、um, you know, as we were growing as an organization. IT work became something that I kind of had to do a little bit. So distributing, ordering、um, laptops and distributing laptops and making sure people have the right hardware. Now I did have like experience with this, like in the in the in the nineties and two thousands. You know when I was building my own and selling and fixing and all that. But、uh, I also came in with a PhD from、uh, in organizational psychology. And it was weird for me to、uh, be doing IT stuff all of a sudden, 
uh, and having that be part of my main job. And I felt like in a way, you know, I get it. Like they needed the work. They needed someone to do the work. No one else wanted to volunteer for the work. Somehow I did like one or two little assignments and it became the much bigger assignment. I was kind of, I was pretty frustrated with that. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was easy work, but I knew that it wasn't going to get me anywhere uh, anytime soon. And even as someone, you know, as a, at the director or senior director level, I had influence on certain things. I made sure I tried to hire someone in to actually take that work off my plate, but it actually took a long time. I think I had to do that for about a year and a half before uh, something uh, something came about. Like you didn't volunteer to be like, hey, I'll be the, the, the quasi-IT guy in the interim. They just kind of assigned that to you. Um, I don't remember. I may have because it was just a it, in the startup setting like you you do stuff to just get stuff done uh, i may have done it uh just to get uh things rolling because people need the right equipment to do their work and for me that was more important than falling into um you know this potential pigeonhole which i didn't realize until like really like i would say like six eight months later i'm like wait a second what's going on here like why am i doing the majority of this this work uh, where my expertise lies elsewhere and I could be more useful to the organization elsewhere. Uh, and I don't think they were thinking about that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think in the moment, you know, it feels like when you're in a hot uh, or a, a lukewarm pot of water and it starts to warm up and then boil, like you don't really notice it until it boils, if that makes any sense. talk about that submissive one uh, that Asians are being seen as submissive what does this mean okay so you're submissive um, you don't, you're not gonna say no I think that's an example that we brought up earlier I had a very very recent example when I was working in Colombia Colombia South America so I'm gonna throw my previous workplace under the bus and I don't care but I experienced the, the stereotype that I wouldn't say no and the, how that manifested was I was hired um, at a business school and my two main responsibilities were to teach and do research. But when I showed up there, one of the, I guess he was like a, a manager within the business school, he was the area head and he kept on asking me to take on all these consulting projects, which is what a consulting professor or a professor of practice mm. would do. So a professor of practice would teach a bit on the side, but prioritize like consulting to companies. So this guy wanted me, and I'm just gonna call him out. His name was David. He wanted me to not only do the things, the two things that I, I was hired to do, teaching and research, but he also wanted me to do consulting projects. And I said, no. And it got to a point where I was like dodging him whenever I saw him in the hallway, I would dodge, I would not, go to that part of campus because my office was sort of um, on the side. The way I resolved that was I finally had to ask another associate professor who was a white man, tell him what the problem was and ask him for his help. And so he went to David and said, Jenny's not working on this. She has to focus on teaching and research. That's what the other assistant professors who were hired previous to her were asked to do. So she's not doing consulting. And only then did David back off. Mm -hmm. 
So that's how it manifested for me, this idea that I'm not going to say no. And he kept on insisting. Like, I, I'm like, what part of no doesn't he understand? Jenny, I got two follow-ups for you with that. Um, first, like, when were you aware that this was operating? Uh, and how did you approach your colleague to help you out? How did you know that was the right person to uh, help defend you or help you navigate uh, the situation? Oh, that's a good question. So the first one is how, when did I figure it out? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I figured it out until like a few weeks into it. Mm. The, I think the key insight was I am, I'm always benchmarking against my peers. So I'm always talking to my, my colleagues, my white colleagues, my white female colleagues, just to see like, what, what's the standard and like, how yeah. am I being measured? And so I talked to several of my other colleagues at my same level. And I asked them, when you were hired, were you asked to do all these consulting projects in addition to your other roles? And they all said no. And one of them even said, Jenny, I think you're being taken advantage of. Like, you're not supposed to be doing consulting projects because those are huge time sucks. You know, that's like a full-time job. So then I, then it started clicking. Mm. That's how I decided I have to reach out to this other professor who Hopefully he will be an ally, but I also know that sometimes the same message coming from a white man is going to resonate more um, than the message coming from me. So I, mm. I kind of that, and maybe it's a product of doing the research and just knowing like when it's advantageous to speak up and when mm. it's advantageous to get an ally involved. So that's sort of like my thought process. How artful of just knowing when to do it. That's amazing. Was it a semester? Was it two semesters? Like, how long did it take you to say, like, hey, I got to find a way to get out of this extra work that's being projected onto me? Uh, I mean, it didn't take too long, but it maybe a few weeks. A few okay. weeks of, like, dodging it and then feeling stressed and then asking myself, why do I feel so stressed whenever I see him? Why am I dodging him? Then I realized I'm dodging him because he's asking me to do something that I don't want to do, that I know my peers are not doing. So it's time to get a white man to stand in. You're laughing, Doug. <laughs> You're laughing. Bring okay. those allies in. And Jenny, do you know, like, this white man uh, that you invited is also having, like, a, isn't him more like a senior or is him just, like, you just know, like, his identity going to help you? Like, does he have, like, an extra, like, authority over this David? Like, how did you find that ally besides his identity? Well, officially, no, he did not have authority over David. No one did except the university. But this professor did have, he was there a longer time and uh, he was well-respected. And the, there was a culture of just giving preferential treatment to the white professors over the non-white professors. I love that example, uh, Jenny. Yeah, that's also talk about like how, how we can cope with those stereotypes that impressed upon us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Can I share one more stereotypes that we might have uh, as Asians? 
Uh, and this actually came from the recent study that I did with Karen. Karen is my advisor for our listeners. If you listen to this episode, you probably already know that. <laughs> and um, interesting one that uh, hasn't been talked about a lot in the past research was uh, independent um, and being able to handle things by your, all, all by yourself. This is one big thing that we have seen in our recent study uh, that people have on Asians. And, uh, and this is fascinating because as we were thinking about when the organization started to assigning like resources, they might seem like they have the uh, expectation that Asians, you all are doing fine. You can handle this by yourself. You don't need extra help. So you can only get like one half of the resource. Then I am signing to your white colleagues. Um, so, so that's something I thought it's interesting as a as a stereotype that people have on Asians, which uh, I haven't saw that uh, in the past, but it emerges from the data that we see. Echo based on that um, that novel research that you, you did with Karen, have you experienced a bit of that or tinge of that in your workplace, um, present or past? Just under resource. You know, I I have never actually thought about that till like I've seen the yeah. data and then reflect my own experience, and I always realize. Yeah, like I have always been aside with like less of the resource in this case, that's the headcount under me or report to me than some of my white peers. And also I'm looking, and this is only not applies to me, but also a lot of my Asian colleagues as well. I'm seeing a lot of them with only one or two direct reports, but they're still having the same scope of the work than some of their peers. Uh, where their peers have four or five or more resources. Um, so I thought that was fascinating. Like um, part of it that is how I'm not contributing this all to like stereotypes or people's impression on things, but this might be one of the reasons, right? Like when people are assigning those resources, how those resources are being allocated. I'm going to ask you a leading question. Um, <laughs> Did you have to work extra hours because of this? <laughs> oh, as always. Um, I'm not saying like because of this, but um, I I work a lot of overtimes um, and I observe the same thing mm. on a lot of my Asian colleagues. I haven't seen that much. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm also seeing like it, the overtime is a thing that more primaries I'm seeing on the Asian colleagues more so than some of my white colleagues where they always have hold, holding a mm. tighter boundary on white life. And how do you know, do they tell you, like do you guys talk and say, oh, I worked over the weekend or how do you know that your Asian colleagues are working over time? Um, I, I think part of it is like through just the daily conversations with them. Um, but also, like, this is like a back then, this is like um, not even like a um, like a study that we'd be able to share like with like, external companies. Um, but I know some companies started tracking on some of the online activities just on like the mega data on like how long people are spending on the office suites, things like that. 
And I am aware that uh, for majority of the folks or the workers in the Asian countries, and in this case, I'm just saying Asian countries because we didn't, we're not looking at this by people's racial ethnicity, but in general, like workers in Asian countries work in longer an hour or spend more time on the office suite than uh, folks in European or in uh, the North America countries. Uh, again, like I'm just, this is just a, by country. This is not just a by race or ethnicity itself, but we've seen that as a pattern in the past. And this is my argument that I, I, this might be a little bit like off topic, but this is my argument is like, hey, if we are actually doing pay equity studies these days, we should also look, should, I mean, it's not only just a, what people get, now we should be make sure it's being adequated, like uh, adequately, but we should also see like, yeah, how much work that people are actually putting into this. But yeah, you can argue like, hey, not like all the time that you do ability to work will translate into the outcome itself. However, it's a fact that those people are actually working longer hours than the people who are than some of the people who actually get paid the same as they do, or even more. I'm smiling a little bit because there's a, there's a part of me that wants to give advice to our audience to know the difference between exempt and non-exempt employees. And if you're exempt from the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act, you cannot get overtime. So whether you work 20 hours or 40 hours or 50 or 80 hours, you get the same pay. So, you know, you should, I think this is alluding to one of our old episodes, know your worth and, you know, uh, know in a way, kind of know what you're getting into. And uh, like Jenny and Echo said, like benchmark who around you is doing the what the what amount of work they're doing and what resources they're getting for it. So what is non-exempt versus exempt? Is it the difference between like hourly um, like workers versus like someone who has a salary? Yeah, I think um, exempt is exempt from the Fair Labor Standards Act, which means they don't get overtime. So regardless of how much they work uh, each week, that's how much they get, uh, regardless. And if you're um, uh, and if you're not exempt, it means you're hourly, basically. So like a contractor. Um, yeah, it could be contract. You could still be a full. For interns, for some people that know uh, or listen to this episode, uh, I know some of them are just started their career, right? So you might start with interns, and in that case, you're actually paid by hour. If you're paid, because there are a lot of unpaid internships as well, which I think is so predatory. Even for when I was paid at the time, I think I was asked to do like 20 hours a, a, a week and for part-time like interns, but I literally like ended up like doing 30 or even like 40 hours. Uh, even though I get paid, I only like 20 hours. The work that assigned to me is 40 hours worth of work. Mm. I feel like our interns are like our most like vulnerable like employees and it kind of says quite a bit about the organizational culture and what they're willing to do or what kind of work they put the interns through right whether it's like getting coffee making copies or putting on like you know uh having them do all this hard work that this other full-time employee isn't willing to do uh, it's kind of like i feel like you know how we would say in our 
you know, through our, our organizational psychology, it's an artifact of what the, uh, you know, the organization is manifesting. Yeah, I think this might be a good segue to some of the consequences of the stereotypes, which in this case, I think we're going to dig deeper on stereotype threat. any of you want to give our listeners some explanation on what we mean by stereotype threat? Sure, I can give a brief definition of it, if that's okay. Uh, so uh, I believe stereotype threat refers to like, you know, confirming a negative stereotype that uh, a person has, whether it be racial, ethnic, gender, or cultural. And this creates this uh, kind of this uh, cognitive load where they think like way too much about it. And what really happens, it it hinders their performance on a difficult task. Uh, So, um, you know, for some of our listeners, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're at work and, you know, you're you're tasked with this difficult assignment and maybe people project certain stereotypes on you, you may be thinking about that more so than actually doing the work and it may potentially hinder their performance where it takes them a lot longer to do that work because they're operating or thinking about uh, all these other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before I, uh, I heard of this terminology, I, do you guys remember the um, GREs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We all had to take it to get into grad school. That's back in the day, right? It may not be uh, the case anymore. The same with potentially the SATs. But uh, I remember like, oh gosh, this is like maybe like over 10, 12 years ago. But I think I had to take the GREs a couple times because I uh, I didn't do well in the verbal section. I thought my performance like didn't indicate that. Uh, but every time I took the math section, I'm like, you're good at this. You're good at this. You're Asian. I had to tell myself that <laughs> just to get myself going a little bit before I jumped into the math section, which I always, I guess, I always did well, well in. Yeah, actually, I... That remind me like some of the strategy or the coping strategy that we could potentially thinking about in the workplace is say like because we know there are stereotypes there that Asians are not good at presentation or communication. Um, so when you are actually heading for a certain like a presentation, might be helpful to just remind yourself, hey, you're a, such an excellent um, or expert on this subject and you'd be able to pull this off instead of like remind yourself as like an Asian identity. This is just totally like my um, like ideas for like future study, whether we can be just controlling that and see how, how that actually affect people's um, performance on the, uh, on the presentation or some other things that needed to be like in front of other people. Okay. So you're, uh, or hinting, um, about what we're going to talk about at, in our next episode. So we're going to break this up into two parts because it's a lot to to listen to in one sitting. But should we spend a, just a little bit more time on stereotype threat as a concept before we transition? Do we want to get examples from like uh, how some of these stereotypes, like submissiveness, diligence, and math competency, and how that could undermine uh some of our own performance yeah yeah let's talk about that so let's see submissiveness i mean i could see that 
panning out potentially um and i'm also trying to think about like examples where i've experienced that like if i'm negotiating or if i'm you know going up against someone in a meeting i might be reminded of the stereotype that i'm supposed to be submissive and so i that might impede my performance to really be agentic and stand up for whatever i'm you know presenting on so i i could i think that could potentially be something that emerges so you're trying to grapple with there's a stereotype that i'm supposed to be quiet submissive but in this meeting i can't be and that might potentially negatively affect your performance in that meeting or even you trying to overcompensate that like just by showing like more aggressively because you know that you don't want it to be seen as submissive mm-hmm. but somehow because that extra aggression can cause some damage to that negotiation laughing at myself thinking about this thinking about how silly I am but uh, I apologize if I come off as um, silly but um, I remember being in a meeting and I had um, uh, the person who was my boss come in and uh, I was doing check-ins with everybody and asking how everybody was doing and uh, this person just goes off and talks about 10 gentle things and didn't answer my question and there was a part of me that was like that realized like you're not answering my question i'm running the meeting here and it's disrespectful and i'm not willing to take this and maybe that awareness um made me uh, echo like you said overcompensate and you know i think this is like 2 3 minutes into uh, this person spiel and i interrupted and i said This was my original question. Answer it or get off the call. Whoa, you did that? That's a power move. I respect that. Maybe it was a little too harsh, but I wasn't going to let this happen. And I just wasn't going to let this person come in and kind of try to run the meeting a different way. I had a certain agenda I wanted to run and it's been the typical and I guess what I ask the same questions all the time. So this was expected and known of everybody so to come in and kind of go in these tangents and kind of just talk because this person was the head i wasn't going to take that and i think that person got really embarrassed um and maybe that was my intention because i'm like there's there's a certain way we're running this meeting and if i'm running this meeting i'm going to keep this on point and i'm not going to let you come in and change things and ro- walk all over me because that's why I mm-hmm. felt like was happening as well too. So I'm going to yeah. I'm going to, you know, stop it right there. And if you're not aware of it, you're aware of it now. And uh, now I am too about my <laughs> overcompensating of this submissiveness. Wow, that's such a great example. Can I ask a few clarifying questions? Yeah, sure. So it sounds like this was your meeting. Um Yeah, kind of. It's a, a joint meeting, but yeah, it's it's I typically run it and there's a certain way I I run it and it's always kind of been the case. Or at least I felt I I felt that ownership 
of it anyways. I was going to run it the way I, I ran it. <laughs> okay. So this is your meeting and this person is coming in. What was his, I'm guessing it's the he, what, what was his role? Like, is it your colleague or is he your, your superior? Like, I'm just trying to. My superior. Yes. Okay. Okay. So he is your superior, but obviously he didn't respect the fact that this was your meeting and he didn't answer your question. That's what triggered you. Yeah. Yeah. It was very frustrating because I, um, you know, I think what ended up happening was I asked, I think this person, how they were doing Mm -hmm. and the person started talking about, uh, something and then started talking about their lunch or what they're about to have for lunch. And I kind of let that go on for a little bit because thinking like, Hey, you're going to talk about that and then, you know, do your little check-in and then you stop, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause we're not, we're not here to talk about your lunch. Like we have four yeah. people here. We're not here to listen to you about what you're eating. Nobody cares. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like nobody cares, uh-huh. you know? So, and I'm like, you're wasting our time. And I, that was the tone that came off and that was the tone I was trying to strike. Yeah. And you need to like, listen to what I say. And if you don't answer my question, like within like a reasonable time, I'm going to try to bring you back in nicely. But if you're going to go too way off and take us off on something like this, I mean, there's other things I'm thinking and wondering of already, but I want to stop you right there. Yeah. So what was the outcome from that confrontation? (laughs) Um, that person's kind of stopped, um, I, I think in the moment and what I think was a little embarrassed. Um, I'm also older than the person, that person. So I think the age pipe played a play a role, uh, in there as well too. But, you know, uh, could I have like done a better job of, uh, allow this person to save face? Uh, probably, but, um, you know, I think that person now knows that, or I have always known that I'm not um, gonna let this slide. Like you could go off tangent or like talk about things that aren't really related and just wasting people's time. I'm really, I'm not, I'm not here for that. Um, there's a tangential story that kind of comes with this as well too. And I think this, because this person was a kind of a new manager, new leader, I think one of the first meetings that person said, you know, because I'm the boss, I get to hold you back and you have to listen to me. And when that happened, I'm like, no, I'm not. When we're done, I'm leaving. You're not holding on to me because you think we're not playing boss here and I'm not having that. So if you want that, you can keep the rest of these folks, but I'm leaving. Good luck with the rest of your meeting. So. So in that case, that actually get to the desired outcome to a certain degree, and you don't feel like there are consequences coming from it. Because I, I think one thing our listeners probably also wanted to know, like I'm speaking on behalf of them, is because I'm also curious, is like when you are actually demonstrating this those kind of behavior at saying no, are there any consequences coming with it, right? Um, so that that's probably like my question. Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I think that's always in the back of my mind too. Like the first one is really, was I too aggressive? Did I lean into this too much or did I fall over onto this and like grind my nose off? 
Um, I think that's, I think for most folks who are trying to fight against these stereotypes, you're probably wondering how far can I go without, you know, damaging a relationship. And of course that was something that I always wondered as well too. But I think like certain days, I, I think we have our tempers and they're longer and shorter some days. And there's only so much you're willing to take on certain days. And I think part of what uh, potentially came off or a consequence, a negative consequence for me was that then I became as too, uh, viewed as too aggressive. And I mean, there's a part of me that wanted to say, like, I wouldn't have been too aggressive if, if you just listened to my question and answered it. <laughs> well, here's some good news on being aggressive. I do find it's a sad findings from my recent study. Yeah, tell us about it. But, uh, yeah, we were controlling for race ethnicity in this case, like Asians versus white. We were controlling for that. And the only traits that predict leadership potential or being viewed as a leader is being aggressive. None of the others matters. No matter how competent you are, how intelligent you are, how hardworking you are, none of those matters. The only thing that predicts your uh, leadership potential is being aggressive. <laughs> kind of sad, isn't it? Um, I know this episode can be a bit depressing and that's one of the reasons why we decided to um, split it up into two parts. Do we have a haiku to end our episode? Yes, uh, literally I just asking ChatGPT to write a haiku for stereotypes uh, and make it more fun. Echo, thank you for sharing this. Looks like uh, here's our haiku. Boxed minds weaves tales wild. Laughter breaks through biased walls. Truth smiles, stereotypes fall. I want to say fail. <laughs> well, on that note, tune in to our next episode where we'll talk more about what you can do to uh, fight off and navigate these stereotypes and stereotype threat. Catch you later. Bye. See ya. See you next one.